This is the Jail Ministry Podcast. The J-A-I-L, or Jesus Acts and Inmates Lives Ministry, is Christ-centered and provides programs focused on the prevention and intervention for the incarcerated. Jail Ministry also provides support to offenders, criminal justice professionals, victims, and their families. Thank you for your continued financial assistance. For more information, visit jailmen.org. Now, here's today's lesson. Good afternoon. My name is Kevin McCarthy, and I want to welcome you to Jail Bible Study. Excited to share this message. It is a continuation of what we studied about two or three weeks ago. Um, We're in a building that's about 150 years old. It's built in 1870 sometime. So we're having construction right now, reforming, kind of cleaning things up and bringing it up to the the new century here. So bear with us here. Um, We were talking last time we spoke about the miracle of regeneration or being born again. And I'm going from a book by Pastor John Piper who has 25 demands, what God demands from us as believers, as people, to come to him. And the first one is you must be born again. So let's take a few minutes and review what we covered a couple weeks ago because you can never get sick of it. It's, it's, it's a miracle that the Holy Spirit would come to Nicodemus. And we also spoke about there are two things in life that you can't choose. You cannot choose these things. You can't choose when you were born, of course. You can't decide that you want to be born in this year or that year. And you cannot choose if you're going to be born again of the Spirit. For that is of God, it's a mystery, and it's by the Holy Spirit. So in our Bibles last week, let's open up to John chapter 2. We're going to cover a couple small things in 2 because I always like to talk about what happened beforehand leading to the message today, which is Nicodemus is going to come to Jesus to find out what you have to do to go to heaven. So in chapter 2, which was written now, uh, Jesus' ministry was approximately three years long. So we know this is early on in the, in the ministry here, so it's probably half a year or a year into the ministry. And some things that happened that had really got the, the religious leaders at the time really mad, really angry. And by this time, they already wanted to put Jesus to death. And one of the big things was the Jews, going back to King David and Solomon, way back, had built the temple to God. And it was called by God for to use certain materials. And I don't think we can even fathom how valuable and how expensive and how incredible this temple was. It was about 40 yards by 60 yards, 50 yards long. And all of the materials were coming from all over the Mideast. Now, the marble, which was a beautiful white, it shimmered in the light. That came from quarries hundreds of miles away. Huge blocks. And what I can't figure out, and no one can figure out, no engineer, no architect can figure this out. All of the marble blocks, which were about 1,200 pounds in weight, they came from the quarry in a perfect fit. So there was no chiseling done, there was no hammering away, there was no grinding away. 
the blocks of the temple fit perfectly from the quarry coming in and someone probably had to put a mark on those in order but they were in perfect perfect shape because the temple was at a slight little grade so they had to make sure they were perfect to fit right and they wouldn't fall over now the wood inside came from Lebanon an incredible wood but even more remarkable than that the wood was all covered in gold the whole temple inside was gold they had huge basins the size of pools in gold they had cherubs they had animals in gold now this kind of work um, people can't even fathom this they can't figure it out how do they do this work so in today's dollars just to give you an idea it was estimated to be worth over three billion dollars in today's dollars to give you some perspective the AT&T Dome where the Dallas Cowboys play that's worth right around a billion so take three of those in gold silver incredible so the Pharisees we talked about Nicodemus is a Pharisee what's a Pharisee well they are a religious leader at the time they were the ones that had the knowledge they were the ones that had the birthright they came from the right line the right line of ancestors and they were quite arrogant about their knowledge they wore special robes special uh, uh, scarves coming around and they believed that salvation was in good works and they believed they had done those good works and they had works upon works upon works over 800 laws that had to be fulfilled so when Jesus comes into town he turns everything upside down he's dressed ragged he doesn't have important clothes or following he stays in this small little house somewhere a few miles away so Nicodemus we know now that the Holy Spirit God must have sent the Holy Spirit to Nicodemus now Nicodemus he was considered probably the wisest of these Pharisees and not only did they wield power over the Jews but the Romans who were in control of the area at that time they had the Pharisees administer their laws their taxes their codes so the Pharisees had to play the game and tax the Jews and do what they told them to do but they had their own rules on top of that so we talked about um, John chapter 3 we spoke about there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus a ruler of the Jews he came to Jesus at night well he did not want to be seen okay Jesus is going to tell him in the first we cover the first I think it was first 10 verses he will tell him three times truly truly you must be born again to see the kingdom of heaven so Nicodemus doesn't understand this he's thinking huh do I have to go back to my mother's womb or do I what can I do once again it's doing and in Christianity it's already done by Jesus so he can't figure this out and Jesus is going to tell him a couple wise passages here that once again Nicodemus can't figure it out and I love this verse it says the wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it but you do not know where it comes from and where it's going so it is of everyone born of the Spirit now I heard this verse directly from Dr. John Piper who wrote this book I heard that verse and it just being opened my eyes 
I was a Christian at the time, but there are three points that we want to make. Anyone that lives anywhere just about knows how the wind blows and the wind can change, especially in Texas. It'll change directions overnight. Temperature drops 50 degrees and it'll bring cold, rain, sleet, hail, snow. Man can't control that. Not at all. So we know that Jesus is referring to you can't control your salvation. Three points we talked about this. We said it's the sovereign will of God. And you can't just say, oh, I wish I was a Christian. Dear Lord, I hope I'm a Christian. You can't go with your wife or your girlfriend or your parents to church and go to church all the time and, and say, I want to be a Christian. I want to be a Christian. No, God will humble us. And he knows the timing for those of us he chooses and those of us he calls. So it's sovereign. God chooses it. And, and so in the second point, it's mysterious. We don't know how it works. All of us, even as a Christian, have family members, brothers, sisters, children who are not Christians. And that is one of our biggest prayers is that they may come to the Lord. They might be saved. That's, that's our biggest prayer, is that they may know Jesus just like we do. And so, you know, we can read the Bible to them, give them Bibles, give them verses, take them to Bibles, take them to, to Sunday school, as it was with my children many, many years ago. But it's still in the hands of God. It's still in the hands of God. It's mysterious by the Holy Spirit. And it's invisible. So when someone is born again, you know, I hear people say, um, God, I, I want to be a Christian, so I'll go to church, I'll start doing these things, I'll start, you know, dressing up, going to church with my um, friends and such, and, and start reading the Bible. But it's kind of like, well, look at this verse by Paul. He says, whoever is in Christ is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. So Paul is speaking about his earlier days where he persecuted Christians he killed Christians, and then he was struck by the light of Christ. Years later, struck by the light of Christ. And it was nothing of his being be doing because he was going at the time to kill more Christians. So I liken it to people that, you know, you kind of watch those commercials on TV. They're on every, every evening, every afternoon, and they'll have a commercial for Nutrisystem and put on the new you, and they always flash uh, a few people up there and there. Derek has lost 110 pounds in the last year. Derek's in a bathing suit now. He's got girls around him. You know, he's having a fun time. He looks just like a stud, you know. And and another gal, same thing. She's kind of dumpy, looking like she's you know going off to clean the clean the kitty litter box or something like that. And then she's 120 pounds lighter a year later. Just eating these these simple meals, by the way. And look at her too. She's in a she's in a bathing suit. She's got the same guy with her in the pool, coming out of the water. They look great, you know. So, what the world thinks about for a new creation is completely different. They think that we can do our ways, do do good, and a lot of people. How about you? You try to change your ways, change the way you act, what you do, kind of clean up your act. Don't go partying like you used to cut back on the drugs, whatever you're doing, the meth, the, the, the marijuana, the weed, whatever. The, the cell porn, you're trying to clean up on that stuff and thinking you're, you know, I'm doing a lot better. I'm 85% I'm better. 
So I'm better than a lot of people. So maybe I'm going to heaven because I, I, I know this Jesus. I know I know about it. So want to touch on a few other things before we get into the rest of the story because here it is Jesus has the most important person in Israel knocking on his door I like in that it's kind of like the president knocking on the door going to a small town in Texas of about 800 people He's found out that he, he, he wants to change some things in his lifestyle. He finds the name of a pastor in the small town of 800. And he knocks on his door. What, what do I have to do? Kind of like that. The, the president comes to the small town. Well, Nicodemus is still the big shot. So Jesus is going to give him about another 45-minute Bible study lesson in faith. What happens? And he's got him here right now. So we're, we're going to get into that dialogue in just a second. So... Let me talk about two other points from last week that are really important. We talk about when we're born again, we have a new heart. Okay? Ezekiel, I'll read that again, Ezekiel 30, 36, chapter 36, 25. I've read it probably 200 times. I don't get sick of reading it. He says, this is the Lord, Lord speaking to Ezekiel, who is a prophet. I will sprinkle clean water on you. And you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit. I will put within you. And I'll remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a soft heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Now, a couple words really spoke out. A new spirit. And also, I will clean all your idols away. That's the essence of most of our sins, are the idols that we become completely obsessed with. That idol can be drugs, alcohol, could be sex. People are sex addicts. People who are into porn, pornography. Um, people who are into having to have the latest, greatest new boat, motorcycle, or some people are just addicted to spending. They will order things online, they will order things at the store, buy this, buy that, and they never feel satisfied. They start to think same thing over the next week, having to buy something else. That's an idol, okay? And most of you, even even us, we have to kind of keep a check on what becomes are what we, what we put first because we should put the Lord first but a lot of people hey bass fishermen nothing wrong with bass fishing but they got to go every weekend every weekend without stop so the thing that the Lord speaks about is he says we're not born spiritually alive with a heart that loves God we're not born that way and that goes all the way back to the fall of Adam and Eve. So we are born in sin. We're born in dark heart, darkened hearts. And we're not spiritually alive. And we don't have a heart that loves God. We're, we're spiritually dead. And if you think about it, we really can't see Jesus. We can't really see the Bible and see the, the wonder and the majesty of Jesus and God. If we go to church, think about it. You may hear the message, and you may hear something about, oh, you know, 
Jesus died and take away our sins. And you may think that, oh, oh that, that'd be great, you know, like to have that. And, but you're dead to it. I know I went to many church services with a girlfriend whose father was a Baptist pastor, and I just didn't get it. I come out of there, I'm thinking, oh man, I gotta get out of here. It's going on an hour and 20 minutes. I'm used to one hour Catholic church service, wham, bam, get out of there. Oh no, it's Bible, Bible, Bible. So I, I, I couldn't handle the Bible. That's always, I, I really hated God. We use God when we need Him, but we don't truly turn to Him in humility. So that's what a dead person is, born spiritually dead. And it says in Luke, This my son was dead and is alive again. He was dead, but he's alive. Unless we're born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Okay? So, two other points here. He's speaking to everyone in the world. Everyone's like this. There's no one born that's not darkened or dead in sin. We all have sin in our hearts. And so that's why we need the Lord. We need the Lord Jesus. We need to be born again. We need to live in Him. He is everything. He feeds us. He gives us comfort, encouragement. He gives us hope. So it's not moral improvement. As I said, it's an all new from the inside out washed heart completely new heart the Bible says in Jeremiah the heart is deceitful above all else and desperately wicked who can understand it who can understand our hearts the evil things that happen so I'm going to go over the rest of John chapter 3 because this is probably a whole three or four sermons in itself but Listen with me, because he's going to give a lesson to Nicodemus. And he says to him, he says, Nicodemus says, how can these things be about the wind blowing? And Jesus says, I thought you were a teacher of Israel, and do you not understand these things? So, yeah. He memorized, Nicodemus knew the first five books of the Bible. He memorized those. So he was a teacher and a leader. But he doesn't understand being born again. He says, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what we've seen, and yet you don't accept our testimony. So we're in our Bibles right now, John chapter 3, we're at verse 12. Can you turn to that, please? He said, If I told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe? if I tell you heavenly things. Well, think about that. If you can't understand the earthly things like the wind blowing, the wind is not in our control, it's in God's hand, then how are you going to figure out the spiritual things? Nicodemus is kind of speechless. Now Jesus says he's going to reveal his divinity, that he is God. And I'm sure Nicodemus is kind of, whoa, Whoa. He says, No one has ascended into heaven, but he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Wow. No one's gone to heaven, but he who has come down from heaven, the Son of Man. He called himself the Son of Man. And, and by this time, Nicodemus is thinking, Oh, how could God? We, we've studied God in our scriptures in the Old Testament, but we don't see him as a person. 
So he's going to kind of prick Nicodemus' conscience here. Because Nicodemus knows this verse. He knows it. And Jesus says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Now, I didn't really fully understand that to this year. But if we go back to Moses in the desert with his million-plus people, they were rebellious people. They were complaining. They were building false idols, false gods. They were wicked. They were backbiting. They were talking bad. They were, they were complaining, complaining. And so God sent serpents to judge them. Serpents. The people that were complaining, once one person would start complaining, it was like cancer. It spread. So God's going to judge those people right there. He doesn't want those people because he's seen their hearts. So the serpents are killing some of these people. They're, they're taking them out. They're dying from the serpents. Yet God's going to, Moses prays for mercy for some of these people. Don't kill all these people. So God says, take a pole, put a serpent on it, raise it up. The serpent is dead. You put it on the pole, and whoever looks to the serpent, they will be saved. So they had to look to this dead serpent on the pole, and it's a foreshadowing. It's a foreshadowing. But Jesus says, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up on the cross. He must be lifted up on the cross. He must die on the cross. But then, remember, he tells us, whoever looks to me, whoever puts their trust in me, Jesus Christ, will be saved. So it's looking forward over 1,500 years. And I don't know if Nicodemus could really understand that yet. So the story gets better. He says, so that whoever believes will be in him have eternal life. I like this verse because ten, ten words, so that whoever believes will in him have eternal life. It's really, really, really straightforward simple. Then he's going to read John 3.16. He's going to state that this is his, his probably the most famous verse in the Bible. Wherever you go, whatever country you go to, you even get people that don't know the Bible too much. They'll have that on a sign. Christians will sometimes put that John 3.16 on a sign at football games and hold that up to share the message. And I spent about an hour studying this message, and it keeps going on and on. It's the gospel in a nutshell. Okay? So I'll read it, and then we'll go back to it and pull the meaning out of it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. A lot there. So God's going to give his only begotten Son. There's none other. The greatest gift, the greatest gift is his perfect Son, chosen to die on the cross. So, if we think about this, into the world, the world has nothing to offer Jesus and God. Nothing to offer him at all. There's murdering going on, there's adultery, there's lust, there's stealing, 
when Jesus came in at, at approximately at this time it would be 30 AD there was crime just like there's crime today murders and all kinds of evil going on to, to think that God would send his son who's perfect and people by their actions they showed they hated God they certainly didn't revere him and take an hour a day to pray and to, to really try to reflect on the Ten Commandments and to really honor him. Oh, no, 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 no. But the thing that I thought was amazing, it's an unconditional deal. It's unconditional. Okay? He came into the world even while we were vile sinners. Sent by the Father. Think about that. We didn't want him. We didn't care for him. We, we swear by his name. We, we mock him, put him down. I didn't. I certainly didn't like God after I broke my neck. I hated God. So, and he, he, he offers, he says, he didn't send him in the world to judge the world. Okay? He came to seek and to save the lost. He will come back a second time. To judge the world. But it's an everlasting life. It's the greatest gift around. Everlasting life. Forever and ever. More than all the grains of sand in the ocean. It's, it's, can't, can't even figure it out so much. And it's the greatest love. It's unconditional. He loves the wicked, sinful world before anyone would love him. So think about that. If your wife or your girlfriend or whatever, would she want to be with you if you hated her first? Would she want to be around you? Your friends, would they want to be around you if you hated them, put them down, took things from them? Heck no. And then he says to believe. Works not required. Think about it. Works not required. It's by grace we've been saved. Not by works. So no man may boast. So he's asking to commit your life to Jesus Christ. It's an active and dynamic move. It's active. Okay? We just don't say the words. We show it. By our speech, by our prayers, by our time spent in God's Word, reading God's Word, by acting, by serving, to helping others, to showing others about Jesus Christ. And it's about a personal relationship with Christ. Before I was a Christian, I didn't know what you're talking about. A personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That sounds like an oxymoron. How can you be how can you have a personal relationship with, with God's Son? I mean it just didn't it didn't didn't add up. But for those of you who are Christians, you know what I'm talking about. It's a personal relationship. You come to him when you're in despair, you come to him when you're happy to praise him. It's a wonderful relationship that no other supernatural being could, could describe. And just kind of savor that because the next verse, it really says it all, the next two verses. For God did not send the Son into the world to, now my Bible says judge the world because I have a large letter Bible. I really prefer um, the E English Standard Version Bible because it says, For God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, 
but that the world might be saved through him. Okay? He who believes in him is not condemned. He who does not believe has been condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Now that word condemned, I don't think we really realize how strong and how forceful a word condemned is. In the old days, back in the six, seven, eight hundreds, nine hundreds, when you were condemned, if you stole something, and back then, let me tell you, you stole something, they would say, you are condemned to death. You are condemned. Even today, if we're guilty of drug dealing, whatever, stealing a car, you're condemned to go to prison. You are judged. You're condemned. And when Jesus says it condemned, pretty strong words. Condemned to where? Condemned to hell. There's only two ways. Okay? And he says that. He says, he says, for God did not send the Son of the world to judge the world, but the world might be saved, might be saved through him. So he wants us to be saved. So where are you right now? Do you think you're saved right now? Are you kind of avoiding the Bible or a Bible study? Are you avoiding some of the people that tell you about Jesus Christ? Are you running? I was running. There's a lot of runners. And most of the people are running the wrong way. Okay? He says in closing here, he says, this is the judgment that the light has come into the world. He says, and the men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. For everybody who does evil hates the light does not come to the light. For fear that his deeds will be exposed. We're going to come back next week to another little look at that light. Where you are now, where you were before. But until then, may God be with you. Turn to the word and God bless. Amen.